Can I kick it? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I am joined by... Andy Kermuga. Colin We don't really want to be recording an episode this week, uh, but... We got, <laughs> Speak for uh, yourself! Alright, I don't really want to be recording an episode this week. The people uh, demand something, it. Something's, something's in the air right now, but we've got a panoply of topics to discuss. Yes. Uh, we've got various movies to talk about from various virtual cinemas and festivals, but before that, this morning, the Toronto International Film Festival began to announce their plans. Yes. Andy, would you like to take it away? Sure, great. As the, as the person who wants to talk. Great, I'm so excited to be here, folks. I'm so excited to bring this news to you, our listeners. Um, the Toronto Film Festival uh, announced that they are going to be, quote, tailored to fit the moment uh, this year, which means that they are going to basically pare down their slate to 50 new features, uh, and they are not expecting people to come, basically. Like, people from out, out, from, who are not, like, local. Um, they will be holding some things in person. Uh, a five, a f- only over the first five days, they're gonna ha- be holding socially distant screenings of some kind, assuming that things proceed in a way where that's still allowed. I believe in Toronto they still haven't opened yet, but I believe they are sort of on track to open things before then so hopefully there'll be at least a little bit of experience with like how to operate a a movie screening in the in current circumstances um maybe things will that won't happen and things will change again um but uh so it'll be five days and they'll they'll do um do a bunch of stuff uh and then they'll also be uh doing a lot of online stuff they're partnering with an organization whose name is Shift72, all one word. I don't know anything about them, but they are the digital sort of hosts uh, for digital screenings, talks, and special events. Uh, and then the industry conference side, which is an important another important part of TIFF in the way that like that that industry stuff is important part of Cannes and and is important part of a lot of film festivals, um, will be digital only. Um, so there will be. They're talking about there's going to be security and anti-piracy measures, um, access to buyers and opportunities for networking is the official quote. Um, so it's going to be some sort of digital like thing for um, press and industry folks to be able to watch some of these movies and to be able to communicate with each other in the way that they typically are at the actual physical film festival. Um they also said a lot of stuff about, you know, how they are not doing very well financially at the moment and, like, the how the the pandemic has impacted their operations in general. Uh, they're also um, partnering with 50 filmmakers and actors as TIFF ambassadors, which, as far as I can tell, is just a list of famous people who will probably ha- send in a video of them saying nice things about the film festival despite not having a movie there, is, like, my best guess at what that means uh, and they'll still do their awards, um, and they're also still working on their media inclusion initiative. That's going that is targeting 
uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, LGBTQ, and female film critics uh, to try to get them uh, to increase their status in sort of in the industry. Um, one one quick uh, point on that. You said they're still doing their awards. What that means is that they're... Oh, right. Yeah. Not, not the, probably not the audience award, it seems. But, yes. um, but the ones that they announce ahead of time where they're like, here's a fancy person we're going to honor. Yes. Those ones. Um, yes. And so that's basically the rundown of the news, except for some early announcements of movies that they, um, that they announced will be part of the festival. Um, I believe Amelia was, was, was looking into some of those to maybe have a little more to say about some of them. Uh, yeah, they mostly, like, a couple of them seem to be stuff that was in the Cannes Film Festival selection yep. that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Another Realm, the new film by Thomas Winterberg was one of them. Ammonite by Francis Lee was another one of them. And there was also one more. I believe both the Suzanne Lindon yeah. and Spring the Naomi Colossi. Yeah, Spring Blossom by... Susanna Lindon and True Mothers by no- Naomi Kawase are also movies that were in the Cannes selection that will premiere here. Uh, we've slightly talked about, at least, Ammonite, we've, I believe we've talked about multiple times as it sort of premiered at a variety of places. Other movies that weren't part of that Cannes selection are Concrete Cowboy, for the movie directed by Ricky Staub, starring Idris Elba, also Caleb McLaughlin, Jerome Jerome. Other kid, Method Man is also in it about African American uh, horseback riders in Detroit, I believe, which sounds cool. They released a picture of it that sounds very cool. Okay, it's in Philadelphia. The kid is from Detroit. Mm. Which, yeah, sounds cool. And there's another film called Fauna, which is a Mexican Canadian drama that is about an exploration of narco culture. Believe me, if you heard that one before, but maybe it's interesting. That was apparently screened at a work in progress section of a Mexican film festival last year. So, oh, also the I guess the biggest movie that was announced in some for- shape or form and already shot and finished, but quite, there were questions about its release, is Good Joe Bell, which is a film starring Mark Wahlberg, directed by Reynaldo Marcus Green, director of Monsters and Men and the upcoming uh, King Richard. Uh, which is a based on a Larry McMurtry script, Larry McMurtry writer of films such as Brokeback Mountain and Terms of No. What is yeah? Yeah. Uh, maybe I think Terms of Endearment is based off of something he wrote that maybe no, he didn't. No, no. Write. He adapted the screenplay. The the book uh, he did adapt it. The okay. book the book of Brokeback Mountain is based on another person, a female author. Yes, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, yeah, he, yeah, his books have been adapted into stuff like the Last Picture Show in terms of endearment, and it seems the plot of it seems to be concerning Joe Bell, who is a fuck, yeah, a good man, I guess, or I guess more complicated than that. It seems to be a man who is walking across the United States to raise awareness for bullying, following the suicide of his son, Jaden, and. It seems to be a weepy drama. People like Monsters and Men, I guess, kind of. I guess people were mixed on it, but Reynaldo's Marcus Green could be a talent. Larry McMurtry has written good scripts. This could be good. I have no real, like, hard thoughts on it. 
But it's interesting that it's premiering here. Maybe it speaks to some of the confidence that there will be attention paid on it, even a mostly digital Toronto Film Festival. And then the last one is uh, Halle Berry's uh, directorial debut. Oh, yes. That one I forgot. Bruised. Which I forgot to search. But, hey... We all she's like how playing a she's playing a disgraced MMA fighter. Sure, that sounds like a thing that would be a tough, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say that the fact that uh, there are only going to be fifty movies when uh, some of what has been announced already could be described as filler is slightly concerning to me given especially the wealth of movies that were at berlin and sundance that have not premiered yet i do and also the phrasing of that it's going to be uh 50 new feature films which i would say doesn't necessarily imply that they're going to be premieres but it seems that they are perhaps focusing less on being a spotlight for movies from earlier in the year that have already premiered yeah perhaps i'm totally off base on this but uh I feel like uh, yeah. that's probably true, but I also feel like, I don't know, I guess in my mind, if I'm a filmmaker, in like a purely virtual space, just like taking my movie to multiple film festivals makes less sense to me, because I assume most of what you could get from a platform like Piff and a film festival like that is like the in-person connections, though they said that they, they, say that they will have a market and there will be buyers who are in attendance or participating even in the virtual film festival. But I don't know. I, I guess I, it, that would be something interesting to talk to a filmmaker about, about whether it makes any sense to, if you had a movie at Sundance, to, to then take it to another virtual film festival. Sure. Maybe that was that is some of the stuff they are running up against. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah. This has never I, happened. Yeah. There are the biggest film festival in the world in terms of just like quantity of movies. Right. So, and yeah, well, and I'll, I do also wonder if it's just like the there are going to be a lot of like late breaking decisions as far as like whether people want their movies to play at these festivals. I wonder if there's still a lot of people who are holding out to be like, well, maybe like things will change or there'll be like a big breakthrough or something. Like, I don't, I'm not sure if there's like some sort of hesitation to be like among the first wave of movies announced. Um, Yeah. I mean, in terms of like, I feel like that makes sense more in terms of like premieres. Cause like, I have seen it mentioned that like, Based on when the Oscars will be, it may make a lot more sense to premiere your movie at Sundance or Berlin sure. as opposed to TIFF or Venice. That certainly I could see being the case. I would think there's not really another big festival that you're looking at in the fall if you want to reintroduce your movie by the end of the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess though. I guess part of my 
I wonder, just like at that point, yeah, just I mean, like putting it, it, it up it, on Vimeo or just like distributing it yourself, because it's like you're not gonna. The future of theatrical distribution is very much up in the air, just like these film festivals. So it's like For sure, but I mean, like I'm talking about like when we're talking about Berlin or Sundance, there's like bigger, like you know, Hong Sang Soo's got a distributor already. It's just a matter of like, are they gonna? put it out or are they just gonna wait as long as they can would they like to have this uh kind of reintroduction to the audience uh yeah i don't know know. it is certainly a curiosity also as andy i believe mentioned like tiff will be like there will be some sort of in-person component to it and how that will full how that will mix with the online version of it who knows maybe there's some people who would rather just their films be shown on in person to people and whether that's an option or not that tip is considering i don't i guess right. i'm not privy to it's like yeah it is a fairly detailed and interesting proposal that they have laid out an announcement that they have made but there are still a lot of things up in the air that i am very yes. curious about mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean yeah i i would say yeah what this like sort of release i think does tell us is that they definitely do have a plan that they are moving towards that like is coherent and like makes sense uh in the current climate um yes but uh i mean there's obviously still a lot to come they did like yeah say put out like one of their their last tweet was like we got more information coming over the next couple of weeks about like how more movies where where we're going to be holding the screenings that we do hold and then how we're going to sell tickets and grant accreditation and all that sort of thing so i i they i i feel like tiff has always been like for it's as the only film festival that i've like truly attended i uh, i always have felt like their like their schedule and their like timeline has always been like really top-notch and like under well easy to understand and like they really have that down to a science and i think those skills are hopefully will translate well to the to, to the new way that they're presenting things yeah, and the other thing that was in the tweet that I would say is encouraging is that they did say that while they're not necessarily going to have their traditional sections, there will be wavelength kind of movies, there will be Midnight Madness movies kind of movies along with the kind of regular galas, so that that is encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, what that 50 number means exactly is up in the air. I guess an interesting right, question you raised. Right, that's That's an interesting thing you raised, uh, Jesse. But, yeah, hopefully, as much as jokes as we and other people like to make about, like, the certain TIFF movies of just, like, boring dramas that people forget about and nobody cares and nobody watches, they are a fairly diverse film festival with Absolutely. A, an, ex- an excellent variety of movies, and it would be... I would be sad if it wasn't represented in even a significantly right. reduced lineup. Yeah. Yeah. What what I'm saying is uh, I want to see the new Christy Puyu movie. Yeah. So give me that three hours of Puyu. Hey. I'm sure they'll they'll be glad to give it to you, Jesse. <laughs> Straight Puyu. Yes. Colin, any thoughts? Uh, not really. <laughs> I Great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's all up in the air, obviously, like you guys were saying, uh, as to what, like, a film festival will be. Uh, I'm, they are, like, the first 
big one to be doing digital, I guess. Um, no offense to Maryland or AFI Docs. Um, sure. And then well, I guess they're, yeah. they're going the opposite route of Venice, who is still saying they're going to have like an in-person festival. Yeah, that's uh, the other thing. Is like Venice has just been like, yeah, it's gonna be mostly normal. It seems to well, be the they, message out of Venice. They have suggested that for the press, there will be uh, online screenings. Sure. Yeah. So that's us. Yeah. yeah the press. We all hey. know we're the press. And as hey. we all know, people at Venice don't certainly don't have wacky takes about stuff, including political stuff. So exactly. Like one la- what one last year? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds like the Venice Film Festival organizers are a bunch of jokers, am I right? Yeah. What if Joker becomes the next head programmer at Venice? Uh-oh, Andy, I don't even want you to put that thought into their heads. <laughs> Can you imagine the repercussions that would happen of the friggin' Joker? We'd all be watching Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> An all old Looney Tunes slate of films at the Venice Film Festival. God. HBO Max just running the table. Yeah, that's right. Uh, First Cow is coming out on VOD next month. Yeah. Has A24 confirmed that yet? Nope. Okay. But on Amazon, <laughs> you can pre-order yeah. it. So, who knows? Yeah. I mean, yes, there would be problems if that wasn't true. I mean, yeah, maybe yeah. I can imagine that was like, I, I can't imagine something like that that is like automated uh, to this point to like not be taken down. So I have faith that that's what's going to happen. I guess. Yeah, I agree that it is probably the case. I'm just. Uh, I don't know. I guess maybe A24 is embarrassed that they were so clear <laughs> that it was going to get a theatrical release and that they had to be like... Eh. Well, it had one. It was just going to get more of Well, one. no, but they, they were very clear. We will reintroduce it right. in the fall. And now they're like... Eh. Yeah. Maybe uh, they're testing the waters with something that's already played. See, maybe we'll right, get see some other movies out this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. they they yeah. announced like a date for Saint Maud, right? So it's not like they're fully reneging on their commitment to the theatrical experience, and right? Just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, finding certainly. a weird, it's it was weird finding a slot for First Cow to return when they presumably have other movies that were already scheduled to come back. Well, yes, right. They have a whole bunch of stuff just sitting in the hopper. Oh so yeah, like Green Knight. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean Green Knight's the I think the only other one that had a date. Yeah, Green right. Knight, but yeah. Uh, Zola and right, so Minari and was that? Minari, yeah, and the, that's the other one I was trying to think about. And Minari, yeah, and then they've got stuff that could potentially be fall stuff. They've got the humans. They've got Red, White, and Water. They've got Come On, Come On. They've got a lot of stuff this year. Yeah, and when I say fall, I mean winter because winter is the yeah. new fall. Right, because hey. yeah, because the Oscars aren't till April. Come on, come on! Okay. Is something uh, I think that they like. It came out that that has been like fully shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. That seems like one they would just sit on. Yeah. I right. It, yeah. There's not. Yes. Yes. I know. Yeah. It's all up in the air. Hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. How to make predictions in a world that you don't know whether it exists or not. Right. Yeah. I don't know if this is like 
the right way to pose it. Um, but I know Mank, just like on other movies that we had talked about, like coming out this year, they said that that is like for sure coming out in like October, November. Um, mm-hmm. And like yeah. uh, Devil All the Time, that's supposed to be, I think that was done as well, right? And they're still looking to put that out in Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. the Charlie Kaufman movie just got rated R. Right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, Netflix is, like, on its own track this yeah, year. Yeah, Netflix, right? for sure, they're they're just like, hey, we can put out, we can not put out movies in theaters and get Oscar nominations. We're going to do a lot of yeah. that. Right. I, I yeah. guess it's just in my head, I always am, like, Netflix movies always have their festival run and they like fully were like we're not doing it this year so right yeah they're yeah they're not partnering with any of these festivals I guess so yeah yep. I wonder if there's like a weird right thing where it's like just like a, a virtual festival just like that sort of streaming fucks up with their weird streaming agreements with filmmakers I don't know that's maybe another uh, interesting they, thing I mean that would be I had so when I was in when I was voting for the fil- the film independent spirit awards there were, like, digital screeners of Netflix stuff in the packet of things. So, like, they do do digital screeners for things. Hmm. Um, Okay. Yeah. For stuff that was already out or stuff that hadn't been really... What's interesting? I guess... Well, I mean, it's... They they don't want to assume everyone who's voting has a Netflix subscription. I know, yeah. It's, like, it's one of those things, like, you always feel like Netflix is, like, a public resource. Right. It's, like, a default that everyone has, even though everyone is opting in and paying money. Well, that was, like, the big thing early on in the Netflix trying to get nominations is that they would just, like... They gave ev- the Beasts of No Nation year, they gave everyone in SAG a year of Netflix. Sure. Wow. Or at least everyone on the nominating committee. Probably just everyone on the nominating committee. That would have been enough for me to vote for it. Right. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's, pos- well, pos- that's possibly why... part of why it did so well, right? <laughs> that is why the movie with only three people in the main cast got, a got a, an ensemble nomination. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I know they, they do, like, when they, they also, like, the way they do their, like, their regular screeners has, I think, within the last year or so, been, like, integrated into just, like, your regular Netflix. So, like, if you get screeners for a Netflix thing now, you just, like, add it to your personal Netflix account and, yeah, like, just put like, in a password and stuff, so. I Weirdly, there's, like, I know there's a separate Netflix for, like, uh, critics for, like, people with the proper, like, accreditation. Um, right. where you can, yeah, like... that'll. That's normal. I think for a lot of like platforms that require critics to like look at things early, it's it's a lot of that where it's just like different login where you have access to everything mm-hmm. and access to new things and stuff like that. There's also just as a weird aside, I know that if you've acted in a Netflix project, you have access early because <laughs> I remember <laughs> comedian John Gabers talking about seeing the second season of Mindhunter early because he was in Game Over Man. <laughs> Listen, the perks of working for exactly. So, so we've all got to get one line roles in the next uh, Adam Sandler movie, is what you're saying? Oh my god, mm-hmm. dream of dreams. <laughs> That's what Colin's entire life has been building up to. Truly. <laughs> Let me get like uh, oh, just um, one, Mega one... from Shaquille O'Neal and Hubie Halloween 2 or something. <laughs> Just like wince when like <laughs> Adam Sandler gets hit in the nuts by yeah. a child right. in a crowd shot. That's Ganahoit. <laughs> cut to me. Cut to a dog reacting. <laughs> BB-8 there. <laughs> I'll dab. Anyway, Tiff, 
it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in I mean, just so like you said, you didn't know much about Shift seventy two earlier, so I went to yeah. the website just to see what was the deal. And just like, yeah, they seem to be a platform that helps people stream things. They have one of their tabs on their website is specifically to help film festivals do their thing. And sure. Like the bullet points of the stuff they include, which is studio grade DRM, which is you don't know what DRM is. It's digital rights right. management, so it's like people can't steal it. So that sort of thing. They right. They put prox- watermarks on stuff. And advanced stuff. proxy detection to prevent people from v- on VPNs to get on s- to watch things that they can't watch, which fucked none up. of us, none of us would ever do. Certainly, it's fucked up. <laughs> what watermarking? Right. Just like yeah, geo blocking to control different territories, watching stuff. Concurrent stream restrictions to prevent multiple people, just a bunch of people from watching stuff on one account. And they're also MPAA compliant, which I guess is weird considering they the festivals that they have announced as working for include international film festivals. So right, I mean TIFF is an international festival. I can I can't imagine they would region block it to like only North America. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this isn't tip specific stuff. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thinking out loud, like. Yeah. No, I imagine it has to be in some level international, but uh, who knows? That's. I mean, yeah, they would have to change the name. Yeah, just a TIFF <laughs> Toronto Film Festival. <laughs> yeah, and they block it so only people in the city of Toronto can watch it. Yeah. yeah. If you're um, in Hamilton. Piss off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So yeah, that's th- that's our tip, Shaq. Yeah, Maybe we talked about more. that for longer than I thought we might. What's that? Do you want to talk about the documentaries you've been watching? I think we're holding... Are we doing that now, Jesse, or did, was, the, was there something else like on the documentary? I we're going to hold that for last. Yeah. Sorry, my bad, my bad. Maybe we cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Cullen wasn't paying attention in the rundown we went over before we started recording everyone. Yeah, he was too busy thinking about how he would sell his journalistic integrity for a year worth of Netflix. <laughs> uh, yeah. It does look as if Shift 72 uh, is what South by Southwest has used. Uh, okay. the South by Southwest being a festival that even before this year was uh, included a lot of uh, digital screenings for critics for sure. every, I think everything but like the big comedy previews right. uh, critics could see. Uh, they also advertise as working with the Cannes Festival, which I'm curious what that was. Huh. Don't know. Yeah, I wonder if it was just like for super like high level pe- critic people, they can get digital screeners to things. It's just very limited. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, watch me try to set up a prank film festival with Shift 72. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Claim to have rights to a bunch of movies that I do not have. (laughs) Our our festival is going to start on April 1st. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) It goes from April 1st to the 20th. <laughs> so we have some individual movies we're going to talk about. I know Jesse yeah. has some, and uh, Colin sure. has one. Which one of you wants to go first? I can lead off with uh, kind of finishing up our Maryland Film Festival coverage with a film called Black Bear, directed by Lawrence Michael Levine. 
which is, is Sundance very Sunday good. Sundance. What? This was at Sundance as well, right? Yes, this premiered at Sundance. Uh, stars Aubrey Plaza, Christopher Abbott, and Sarah Gadon. Uh, this is a weird movie to talk about because it's not necess- it's not a twist movie, but it's a movie that, uh, knowing less about it going in probably is better. It basically is like a relationship drama, kind of a love triangle between the three leads. Uh, set in this big house, and then it's kind. It's I'll say that it's in two parts that kind of reflect each other. If you've read the book Trust Exercise, there are some similarities there. Um, but it's a really cool movie. It's uh, it's kind of got uh it's got uh Aubrey Plaza is playing a film director who's kind of going to this house is like a retreat and there's a lot of kind of ideas about authorship I think um what else do I want to say about it it's it, it's really really well acted on the parts of the three leads it looks very cool. The two kind of sections both have their own looks, which are very cool. Yeah, maybe I'll leave it at that. The uh, In the Q&A, Lawrence Michael Levine said that uh, they have distribution uh, momentum pictures and they are... Uh, the planned release date is December 4th in theaters, I believe, which, you know, who knows. <laughs> but they're, they're hoping for a theatrical release. That is what the plan was at one point and may still be. Definitely check it out. I would love to talk about it more in-depth at some point when we've all seen it and when our audience has had a chance to see it. Yeah. I've seen um, Wild Canaries, I believe. That's a Lawrence mm-hmm. Michael Levine pretty direct like homage of Woody Allen's Manhattan Murder Mystery. It's pretty fun. This sounds like it's more um, complex than that. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, like... Uh, I, I've not seen any of the films that he has directed. I've seen films that he co-wrote or produced with his wife, Sophia Tikal. She was not involved with this one except for as a producer, but uh, I, I found myself thinking about their film, Green, which stars the two of them and uh, Caitlin, Caitlin. Scheel. Yeah, I... I they, in some ways, it feels like it is a film about the making of Green. It's it's not, but I think he admitted that there is a lot of autobiography in it, even if he wasn't necessarily going for that. And I think uh, 
it's got a lot to do with green. Interesting. Speaking of autobiographical film, I saw Tommaso. (laughs) Tell us about Tommaso, Cullen. What's Tommaso? Uh, Tommaso is the second newest uh, Abel Ferrar movie. His newest, of course, being Siberia, which played Berlin this year. Uh, And this movie is not directly... Like, the character is not named Abel Ferrara, but it is 100% about Abel Ferrara um, writing the movie Siberia uh, and, like, struggling with, um, like, not with addiction, but uh, recovery for addiction. Like, the movie is Willem Dafoe as, like, the main character, Tommaso, living in Rome with his wife and uh their daughter played by abel ferrara's real life wife and daughter and uh the movie is mostly him like taking lessons uh taking italian lessons and he goes to these al-anon meetings and he teaches like these like physical movement acting workshops um and that's all connected by like some sort of uh like light uh like fantastical scenes of him like not drifting off but like um just like having like visions of things that aren't happening like experiencing things that it seems like aren't happening within like the reality of the movie um i believe it played can last year i believe um yeah i think it's in director's fortnite yeah um or maybe out of competition one of those um but it's about him, like, dealing with the struggles of, like, being a recovering addict and, like, not, um, like, he deals with a lot of his wife is kind of aloof and he needs more from her than she's, like, giving him. And he kind of, they get into arguments about, like, she'll just go off and um, not tell him where she's going and he kind of freaks out and, like, is calling her. And then in these, like, Al-Anon meetings, he talks about the guilt that he feels doing that. And um, it's really, really great. It's on um, virtual cinemas right now through Kino Lorber. Um, if you live in the... If you live in North America, <laughs> uh, contiguous United States, maybe. Um, I, I imagine you can get it in Alaska, but Emilio couldn't get it in Puerto Rico. Um I live in Germany and watch it through VPN. <laughs> um, but it is, uh, if you feel inclined to watch the new Ferrara movie and slap down $12, I'd say it's worth it. Um, I have only seen Kingdom New York uh, as the other Ferrara that I've seen. But uh, I like, he's two for two for me right now. Like, both of those movies are really, really great. This is like a much more tender movie than Kingdom New York and like. What I assume, maybe unfairly, that a lot of his other movies are kind of gruff. Um, like, I know, like, Bad Lieutenant is supposed to be pretty intense. And, like, R. Xmas and, uh, like, obviously his first film was just a porn. So, <laughs> this is a much more tender movie, just, like, about this guy dealing with these struggles of, like, whether or not he's, like, a good person because he has done bad in the past. And, like, trying to figure that out. Um, the, the Al-Anon scenes specifically are, like, a great uh, acting showcase for Willem Dafoe, who, like, 
I don't know. I, I wouldn't say he's underrated for me. Like, I, lo- I really do think he's, like, one of the best in, like, everything I see him in. He's always super compelling. But he's just not someone I think about. Like, if he were to be like, who's a great actor? <laughs> like, he wouldn't be at the top of my mind. But he really is just fantastic. Like, it's um, he's got this quality about him, like, specifically in performing with children. I think he's, like, really great at that because he's very natural. And then um, even in these, like... Uh, these like physical movement uh, workshops that he's teaching in the movie. It's like a very interesting thing to see him do that. And then there's like, um, cause I believe Abel Ferrara, I might be uh, misattributing this to him. I believe he's Buddhist. And in the movie, um, Willem Dafoe's character is Buddhist as well. And there's these meditation scenes that are also just like an interesting physical feat for Willem Dafoe to do. But, uh, yeah, it's really, really great. Cool. Do we want to move on to AFI docs then? Sure. All right. Andy? So yes, uh, I uh, had the pleasure and the privilege of uh, being accredited for the AFI docs film festival this year. Uh, And so through that, I was able to watch 11 features and one four episode TV series uh, over the last weekend, basically. Um, so some of these, uh, movies I was a little bit out of for because it was like my fourth movie of the day and I was, uh, getting sleepy. Um, but I, overall it was, uh, it was, it was, I had a good, uh, time watching most of these. They, most of them I landed in like the three to four star range, um, in terms of my like critical appraisement of them. Um, a few highlights, uh, I watched, uh, Dad's. Bryce Dallas Howard's is Dads, which is now available on Apple TV Plus, which is um, the, the documentary about fatherhood uh, that I guess is mostly financed by like Dove. Um, like it's a soap company. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Um, it's I mean, it's about what you'd expect. Uh, it's probably there, there are some nice little segments about like ordinary fathers. There's also a lot of talking heads of like basically every late night comedian uh, or late night host, like saying like what fatherhood means to them. Uh, and also like Will Smith and Keenan Thompson and like a couple of other people included in those like fa- famous people. Um, those elements are a little less successful, but uh, it's, it's fine enough. I would maybe watch it with like a, a heavy sort of scrub finger on it. If you're pulling it up on Apple TV plus, Um, I watched uh, Bully Coward Victim, The Story of Roy Cohn, um, which I believe I mentioned in our sort of our preview of that as something that I was interested in, uh, which was also interesting. It was a little, um, uh, it was a little, I I guess, um, uh, shallow in in moments. Uh, I was expecting a little more directly considering that the filmmaker is the daughter of the Rose or the granddaughter, excuse me, of the Rosenbergs. Uh, it was not as much about like her relationship with, with him as I was maybe expecting it to be in a little more just like, yeah, this is who Roy Cohn was, um, which, you know, is interesting. And, you know, he has interviews with uh, Tony Kushner and Nathan Lane uh, who have attachment to him through angels in America, which I was glad to see uh, included, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was all right. Um, let's see what else. Um, a Thousand Cuts is a movie that I think I can't say too much about because the 
uh, press person asked me to hold review until it comes out, but it's a, uh, it's about um, uh, journalism uh, in the Fil- Philippines under the Duterte administration, uh, and uh, specifically this one, um, uh, this one uh, 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 press outfit, which who is like calls him out and clashes with him a lot, um, uh, and who. Uh, and yeah, so that was really interesting. I thought it was well done. Um, it was, um, it was very, it, that one felt like very comprehensive and like, it was really like digging into every corner of this, of, of like what it means to, to have a, a, a press that is like being directly threatened by, um, a, a you know, a, a authoritarian who's in power, uh, and, and also going into like, a little bit about what the sort of their the the Filipino like war on drugs uh, has done over in, in in that country, um and 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 getting into some of that, I thought you know it there was is a, a lot of a lot of tough elements to sit with in that movie obviously, but I thought it was a very um uh, a very well told, um story. Uh, nine to five, the story of a movement. Uh, we also talked about, I believe. Um, ahead of time, that mm-hmm. one uh, is the one by the directors who did uh, the American Factory, which won the Oscar this past year. Um, this one, uh, as mentioned in our preview, is like is a little more of a historical story. It's about um, uh, basically the the um, the rise of uh, of of uh, of uh, women's liberation and women and feminism as a force within the labor movement and its intersection with unions. Um, it was a really interesting story. I thought it was, it was really, that one was good. I liked it a lot. Um, there were, uh, a lot of, you know, sometimes it, you know, it, it talks about the movie nine to five, uh, in, in, in how it intersected and was inspired by that a little bit. They hold off on, um, on playing Dolly Parton's nine to five until like halfway through the movie, but you're like, you know, when you sit down to a movie called Nine to Five, you're like, oh boy, they're going to play that song, and that's a good song. Um, so it's always nice to hear. Uh, and yeah, really, really uh, well told. I, you know, I think that in co- in conversation with American Factory as like a broader statement about like the labor movement and and union movements and in its its past and its present, I think I think they would make a good double feature probably. Um, uh, looking at sort of uh, the importance of, of of unions and organizing and in in order to make change, um, it uh, that the other thing you know, um, I think that maybe it was a little uh, there was a little less about um, the intersection of of uh, racial discrimination than I wanted. They definitely do acknowledge it and talk about it, but it feels a little segmented off, and I wish it was a little more integrated into the whole story. But uh, I thought I thought it was uh, well done overall. Um, I can give you a little bit of a break from monologuing sure. to talk about the opening night film. Oh yeah, go for it. Which was Boys State, uh, which is, was the winner of the U.S. documentary competition at Sundance. It's about uh, this thing called Boys State, which. Uh, exists in many states but tech this is set in texas which is one of the states in which it's pretty big uh and it's like a mock government thing where you bring in like a thousand something uh 17 year old boys and they 
run for uh, various positions. The top position is governor. There's uh, the uh, uh, the state party chair is another big position. That's one that is decided earlier, but uh, it's uh, absolute, uh, absolutely nightmarish to just watch these uh, terrible uh, children uh, uh, run for government. Some of them, obviously, some of them are uh, much less terrible, but uh, all of them, I think, are already uh, pretty cynical about uh, government, even if they wouldn't admit it, they're all, I, I think all of them are running in a way that is very cynical as politicians. Uh, it is, it's a good movie, uh, but very hard to watch, very discouraging, uh, made me feel just awful about, uh, how democracy works. That would be my take on that movie. <laughs> Great. Um, uh, the next movie I saw was the Audience Award winner, um, which was a documentary called Transhood, uh, which follows, I believe, five young children, um, who, uh, most of whom, uh, are, are somewhere on the, on the trans, um, spectrum, uh, and, and, and it follows them across several years, um, so it, it really, you really get to see these kids, uh, come to, come to their own and come to identify themselves. Uh, the kids in that are really, really winning. It's really, uh, great to see something that, like, lets these kids, like, take control of their stories and come forward and, and, and really sort of present themselves the way that they, they, uh, that that they are and that they want to be seen. Uh, I I I was really like the, all the subjects I think are are incredibly charming and winning and and like it was really nice to 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 sort of watch them, um, you know. And they definitely deal with issues and problems and 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 uh, prejudices in the world. But but uh, ultimately, is it sort of does feel like a nice celebration of like these these kids are are able to to sort of push to be. Um, who they are, which I thought was really nice. There is, um, I would be interested to to hear some like trans critics talk about it. There is one child uh, who sort of it, it starts off uh, seems uh, uh, maybe gender queer or or sort of non in the not non binary place, and then sort of steps back from that and just comes back to fully identify as a boy. And there's an interview with the parent. Uh, of that child where the parent really expresses a lot of stuff that like is troubling to hear like just basically that like trans kids aren't real i think was sort of the takeaway of what she said and the the documentary i think does make sure to follow that up with like people saying counterpoints to that um i am curious whether to, i would be curious to hear like trans critics thoughts on like whether that should have been in included or 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 um or or whether it was handled well within the documentary, I know the, that's uh the, there's definitely like people out there that think that way and and and, and um and uh that is a real you know strain of, of thought out there. I'm not sure um how much uh we want to to be to be giving it credence um uh and and so that that was that that was an element of that that I like had questions about. Um, but, but otherwise, like a lot of the, I, I just found the kids in that really, really winning and really, uh, exciting to watch. Um, 
uh, first vote uh, was a very was like a one hour long documentary about um, uh, base is basically about Asian immigrants uh, and their citizen coming becoming citizens and voting, and it really like takes a sort of down the middle approach. It 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 uh, it, it, it makes sure to highlight uh, very like pro- like people who are uh, immigrants who are very um, Republican and immigrants who are very Democrat. Uh, and and sort of uh, looks at both of them and sort of the the way that they view uh, those identities intersecting with their like Asian and immigrant identities. Um, it was it was all right. It was you know it, it felt that one felt a little surfacey to me. Um, the fight, uh, the new documentary from the Wiener uh, people um, uh, about the ACLU, uh, specifically highlighting. Um, Four lawyers, one who is doing, um, uh, uh, like immigration rights, one, uh, tackling, uh, LGBTQ rights specifically in the, the case that was highlighted was the, 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 um, the president's, uh, transgender military ban and the fight against that. Um, there was one who was, uh, looking at abortion rights, including also intersecting with the, with the immigration um, the camps and, and like the, that, that, um, the young woman who wasn't allowed to get an abortion, the ACLU stepped in and, and, and fought for her. Um, and then there was one other person who I am blanking on right now. Um, but anyway, it was, it was, that one was, um, it was good. I, I really, you know, it, it deals with a lot of, um, uh, depressing subject matter and like a lot of the times, when they get, um, uh, when they get down, uh, and when they face setbacks, it is, like, incredibly tough to, to sit with that and, like, be, and it, you know, it, 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 it can be a real bummer, but there are, there are also, they do a good job of, ma- of editing it and making it, and so that there are, you get victories, too, and, and like, when they win, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great and exciting to see. Um, oh, the other, the other one that they've highlighted was, um, voting rights and, uh, the, um, specifically looking at the, uh, the census and the, whether the citizenship question would be on the census, which the ACLU was fighting against. Um, uh, so, so yeah, that one, I, I, I liked it a lot. I thought it had a lot of style. I think that one might be one that will, um, that will, will, will get a lot of buzz. I feel like, cause you know, the ACLU, it, it, and it does to get, dig in a little bit to like the way the ACLU sometimes does work for, uh, like uh, white supremacists and the KKK, and it does wrestle a little bit with like the ACLU, like helped f- uh, helped the the group that uh, marched the white the white supremacist group that marched in Charlottesville um, that that led to all that. Um, and so it, it, there is some of that in there about like you know what wh- 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 how the ACLU interprets its mission, and uh, you get some interesting talking head interviews with people who like feel conflicted about that. Um, yeah, I thought that one was good. Uh, and then, yeah, just a couple other things. Um, uh, um, Coded Bias, a documentary about um, uh, basically uh, racial discrimination in like um, in visual technology and also in uh, in like tracking technology and also um, bigger about like the implications of tracking technology and like facial recognition software and it being used by um by organizations and private companies and also governments in ways that were 
uh, probably not uh, so exciting. Uh, and then the last thing I saw was Jimmy Carter, Rock and Roll President, uh, which was a documentary about Jimmy Carter, the Rock and Roll President. Uh, no, it, I mean, it was really just about Jimmy Carter uh, and his... Um, his it, it, I was expecting it to be a little more just about him and his intersection with music, and I think it does do some interesting stuff with that, where it talks about how he, like brought music to the White House and, like, the way that he used, like, music as a soft power in uh, international diplomacy, which I thought was interesting. But then there's also just, like, long segments where it's just, like, covering highlights of the Carter administration, where it, like, goes in, goes, like, spends a long section just, like, talking about, like, the Iran hostage crisis and stuff, which, uh, in, in a fairly, like, it's just like in a various like in like a history lesson sort of way, which I thought was sort of puzzling. I thought I wished it was a little more just honed in on on its actual topic as opposed to just like trying to present a um a sort of big picture look at the entire Carter presidency uh, in the doc. Um, so that was some of what I saw. There were a couple other things I saw that that I guess I have less to say about right now in this moment. But I was really glad to have the opportunity to watch these movies. Um, I do, you know, documentaries, I think I have sort of a weird relationship. I do tend to watch them in, like, big bursts. Like, I'll watch a bunch of them when I am catching up for, to try to, like, for the Oscars and things like that. Like, I'll watch a whole bunch of them in in a cluster. I do tend not to, like, watch them regularly throughout my normal movie going diet they're definitely a different sort of form of movie going and movie watching that um i maybe don't have i feel like i have as like firm a grasp on like what i like and what i don't like in in documentary um artistry um but but i was i was happy to have a chance to to watch most of these movies they did a lot there were a lot of cool q a's um included with these um, and yeah, I, I was, I, I thought the, uh, the, the film festival seemed to, to work pretty well. And also like as, just as a peak of what, like what a digital film festival might look like, uh, getting used to the software and, and, and all that stuff. It was, it was, I had a, I had a good time with it. Um, so I yeah, was. Aventive, yeah. the software that, uh, both the Maryland Film Festival and AFI docs used was, yeah. uh, I would say very effective. Yeah, I I did I had like a couple of hiccups with it, but uh, it was overall pretty smooth and like would play the thing that I wanted it to play, which was good. It oh, and I get... much yeah. it, uh, it worked much better than the uh, as a website that Apple set up as a proprietary website to screen boys' states so that they could have their watermarks or whatever, oh, sure. which uh, worked terribly. Yeah. They had uh, audio sync issues for the first half hour. Mm -hmm. uh, just a disaster. Yeah. Um, oh, the, the last thing I will say is the, the other thing I watched was the one TV show I watched, uh, which I don't think has like a network or anything yet, was Steve James's City So Real, which is a four episode look at the Chicago mayoral race, uh, the most recent one. Um, that I thought was just tremendous. It was the first Steve James thing I've seen, um, and I know that he's had a lot of acclaim for a long time, going back to Hoop Dreams and maybe even before then. Um, his recent America So Real series that's on Stars got a lot of attention and, and is supposed to, to be me. excellent. America, America to me. What did I say? America So Real? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I mashed them up. I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, City So Real, I, I watched all four episodes. I thought it... They were all like an hour long, but they all went down really, really well, and they're so well edited and well put together. He gets a lot of really great access. He he, he has a lot of great like contrast. Like 
He'll spend a lot of time in a black barbershop and then contrast that by following immediately up with some time he spent in like a white barbershop uh, in Chicago uh, with people talking about sort of how they feel about things. And and he gets a lot of access to the candidates uh, campaigns. Uh, You spend a lot of time in the like the the about the signature um, uh, like uh, objection process where like uh, various campaigns like object to signatures that other campaigns have collected. And that stuff is really, really interesting. Um, and uh, in the Q&A afterwards uh, that I watched, he did say that he is um, he has been uh, in Chicago recently filming for what would be a potential episode five uh, in, in light of all the COVID and the, the protest uh, Black Lives Matter protest movements um, that have been happening. So it seems like he is still uh, looking to add on to sort of follow up on uh, how that how the mayoral election maybe has shaped uh, some of that that the, the stuff that has in the world today, and also like how that stuff is affecting the 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 city government since then. Um, so I do have a real strong recommendation that whenever that is available, wherever that is available, that you seek it out because I think it's really excellent. Cool. I think then that we are ready to uh, wrap up. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Can I Kick It or on Letterboxd at Can I Kick It OD, like the last two letters of Pod. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JP Glick Weber, Weber with two B's. My letterbox is the same. Uh, yeah, you can find me if you haven't gotten enough of me talking this episode uh, at uh, Andy T. Germ uh, on all your favorite uh, websites and apps. Uh, I will uh, once again plug uh, the resource for donating to the uh, protesters and Black Lives Matter organization, Black Lives Matters with an S uh, card dot co. Um, and I will say that I watched uh, Robert Brisson's The Devil Probably recently to plug an old movie as I want to do. And uh, it's quite a bleak movie about a guy who is involved with like uh, environmental protection groups and uh, is too depressed to go on in the world. <laughs> uh, it's quite relatable at times like these. But yeah, it's a near perfect movie. Emilio? You can follow me at on Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone. You can follow me on Letterboxd at I Laugh Alone. That is all. Alright, and so I'm gonna go ahead and release our audience. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Welcome to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we don't have to clap again because it'll still be synced. Just give me a moment. <laughs> oh, boy. We should have Jock Jams as the music this week. <laughs> yeah, does anyone want to pull up a fart soundboard while we're at it? Uh, Y'all ready for this? <laughs> Alright.